0: Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Um, First off, I want to say thanks for all the thoughts and prayers this week. Um, it seemed like I, I slipped in, I made mention last week that my wife was going to be away the whole week and I had the two boys at home alone and, uh, I didn't realize that would be such a concern for many of you. I think it, it was, <laughs> the guys were like, you've got a microwave, you'll be fine, right? But <laughs> I got, at least half a dozen ladies contacted me to say, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you. How's it going? <laughs> Do you need any help? <laughs> really appreciate it. That, that's church, right? That's church, <laughs> So I survived the week. Um, Yep, yep, thank you. Still here. Yeah, the kids that didn't make it. (laughs) No, they're around somewhere. Um, Yeah, yeah, they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder, but if you have kids, it's like three times the more. It's like, when are you coming home? (laughs) So I'm super appreciative for my wife. and I want to just go on the record and say that I think that Lynn is the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> <sighs> I had to do that. <laughs> I would hear her later. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of interesting things happening of late. Uh, and one of them I-, I wanted to talk about this morning, but I kind of went in a different direction. But something happened on February the 8th that many of you might know about. Some students gathered for a midweek chapel service in a college in Kentucky, United States. Um, it was a regular chapel service and there was a preacher that day, i got his name here, but you wouldn't know who he was. And he preached a message called Do You Love Me? And uh, he said it went so bad that he actually texted his wife on, after his message and said, that was a stinker, I'll be home pretty soon. Uh, You don't have to wait up too late. Um, But then things took an unexpected turn. People started worshiping, and this worship service actually never finished. It carried on through the night and to the next day and the next day, and more and more people started gathering at this chapel in this college, which many of you know is called Asprey, Um, People have been calling it the Asprey Revival. And this went on for two weeks before um, the college finally said, okay, things need to move on because we're a college. We need to continue operating as a college. But from this very simple chapel service, they reckon around 70,000 people visited and were just profoundly impacted by the presence of God in this college campus. And from there... Similar meetings have taken place and continued in a similar manner in different colleges throughout the United States. And I've even heard of reports in different parts of the world, people being inspired by what God was doing in this college chapel. And what really struck me, and I think has struck a lot of people, is you ask the question, okay, Oh, so uh, what was the worship band there? Oh, just some college kids. Who preached? Oh, you've never heard of him. There was no celebrities involved. You know, normally when we talk about revivals, we go, oh, that great preacher. And it's normally coming behind, like, a really strong gifting. And it's so obvious, like, that, that God come, comes through when, when there's just, like, a, a clear anointing on a talent. But this was just a bunch of college kids getting together and worshiping God. And God poured out his spirit. I found that immensely encouraging. Because I asked the question, well, if you can do it in a small college chapel in Kentucky, why not here in Malma? You know, we have this vision statement in Malma as it is in heaven. And I started to think, what would it look like if God started spilling out? And we, didn't, we weren't just talking about experiencing heaven in our own lives or even in our church, but actually that it was out spilling out into the community and people were being impacted by the life of Christ. I believe that God is looking for opportunities to pour out his spirit. So why not here? So that's where I started when I, when I started thinking about what I'm going to talk about today. It's just this question, why not here? So as Pastor Matthew said, uh, we are in our vision series in Malma as it is in heaven. It's a vision of his kingdom coming, his will being done and his name being revered. Our first mission statement, if you remember in the We the Church series that we did, is we seek God's presence and kingdom before anything else. Now, I think most of us understand pretty well what we mean by seeking God's presence. I mean, I, for one, experienced it here this morning. I love the presence of God. It's something I try to seek on a daily basis because I know I need to be close to God. I need that closeness. I, I need that sense of intimacy with God. Because from that, I feel like I can live the life that God has called me to do. If I don't have his closeness and, and, and that sense of, of um, belonging, it becomes very hard to navigate life. Because life is tough. We, we, we need to know that God is with us. And so that, that tangible sense of God's presence is such an encouragement to us as followers of Christ and the challenges that we face in life. So that's something that we understand, that we should seek that, and we long for it. But I think you could be forgiven if you weren't entirely sure what it means to seek his kingdom. Now, in Mark 1:14 to 15, we can read that, after the arrest of John, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. I think most of us can be forgiven for equating the kingdom to the king, right? Jesus was talking about his victory at Calvary over death, ushering in a new kingdom. That's what he was was proclaiming to the people. They hadn't yet seen it, but we know it because we can look back in hindsight history. But we understandably, therefore, relate to the king more than his kingdom. Now, we've heard the scripture, of course seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But if I was to ask you this morning, what have you been seeking? What is it that you seek? Maybe you would say, it's about seeking Jesus to work on my relationship with him. And that's not a bad answer. That's a really good goal to have. But I'd argue that it's not sufficient for explaining what it is to seek the kingdom. See, a kingdom is a domain that is ruled by royalty. Dallas Willard calls the kingdom a range of effective will. See, in some ways, we all have a kingdom. It might be small, but we have a domain where we get to decide. God's kingdom is where he gets to decide. The gospel that we proclaim is that right now there is citizenship. Oh, that's a hard word. Citizenship? Didn't think that was a hard word, but it is. In a kingdom with a holy and just king that's available for everyone who repents and believes. So, in another way, it's those that rel- relinquish citizenship of this world in exchange for allegiance to Jesus. But it's not just about securing your residency in his kingdom. There is also a mandate that comes with that. There's some expectations on us. We are a called out people in this world. We are his church, the ecclesia. And we're called out to create a redemptive culture here and now. This is why we believe we need to be mature, missional disciples. There's an identity there. We, we, we have an identity as missionaries in this earth. It's why we're here. We're called out to create redemptive culture. To help you understand why this is important, let's take a whistle-stop tour through the Bible. So beginning in Genesis, we read that Adam was given authority in Eden to make culture in God's kingdom. You know, he was giving the authority to name the animals, to, to bring order. And, and that really what is what culture is all about. It's about bringing order from chaos. You see that in art. You, you bring all the colors and, and the shapes together to make something beautiful. You see it in education. You have all these knowledge and facts that you, you bring into a digestible form so that people can understand it. And it brings knowledge. You see it in science. You see it in everything. Wherever there's chaos that is brought into order... That is culture. So we had a mandate for that in God's kingdom in Eden. But then what happened? Satan, that was a fallen, created being, he wanted control of that kingdom. He said, I want to rule and reign there. So he deceived Adam to get the authority from him and exert his wicked rule on this earth. And therefore, Jesus said when he came, he said, the whole world is under the power of the evil one. Now, Jesus came as the second Adam, not to get back his authority, but to get back our authority, the one that we lost. So he gets it back for us. And so then we can read in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we can see that because of the works of Jesus, he was able to then give the authority back to us, so that we could go back into the world with that authority and use it for his kingdom. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So just like Adam was asked to in the Garden of Eden, we are called to make kingdom culture. This is what it is in Malma as it is in heaven. We're called to to make redemptive culture, to have an influence in this world for his kingdom. But the difference between our mandate and the one that Adam received is that we do it in a contested world. There is a presence of evil. There is a resistance. And so, therefore, we have to do it a little bit differently to the way that Adam was afforded. We have to do it with suffering love. We have to take up our cross. Because, unfortunately, we're not alone as we were in Eden and will be in the new heaven. There is a resistance, there's forces that are resisting until the day that Jesus will enforce his rule completely. That day is yet to come. The kingdom has come, there, but there's still a not quite yet appended to that statement. The God of heaven has come, yet we aren't living fully in a new heaven. This is the tension. It's not quite yet. It's a tension for us as a Christians, but it was actually a deal-breaker for many in Jesus' day. See, they were looking for a kingdom through the lens of the Davidic covenant, so that they were looking for a king to come in the line of King David, somebody that would follow in his footsteps, that would be like that warrior king that would reestablish their empire, if you like, on earth. But they were also looking through the lens of prophecy from the book of Daniel, looking for the Son of Man. So when Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that he was the Son of Man, it definitely caught their attention. They would have been skeptical because they were expecting a David-like warrior. as I said. They, they, they were wanting to take back the earthly kingdom by force. But we as followers of Jesus, we understand that the kingdom was now, but not quite yet. So we weren't looking for the kind of signs that they would have been. But you can understand why they might be, might have have been skeptical. But for many to this day, it is just evidence that Jesus was not the Messiah that they were looking for. Because if he was the Messiah, then what is this we're living in? This chaos, evil in the world. So it was a deal breaker for them. So we live with this tension between now and not yet. And Jesus doesn't give us a timeline. He gives us things to look out for, but he doesn't give us dates and times when when we will fully arrive. But he tells us to seek his arrival, to seek his coming in a a, a greater measure. One of the best illustrations for this idea or this tension of the now but not yet is Juneteenth. Um, maybe you've heard of it. It's actually an American um, commemoration now. They commemorate an important date in American history relating to the Emancipation Proclamation. So on January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln, Joe, you know this one, right? you, you, you got it. <laughs> um, Proclaimed that the the slaves at those times would, uh, were free men and women. And so they, they no longer had to... Uh, stay under the ownership of their slave owners. They were actually free to, to make their own choices. They could, they could choose to stay as employees, or they were basically free. So that proclamation was made on January the 1st, 1863. So it was a legally binding fact as far as the federal, yeah, I'm not very good at American systems, but you know, <laughs> legal system. But it actually took two and a half years for every, every uh, slave in America to be made aware of this fact. It took two and a half years for that news to trickle out of Washington uh, to all of the states, and particularly in some of the more remote parts of Texas, where these slaves continued to live as slaves, not knowing that they'd actually been made free. Do you see the, the similarities here? It took two and a half years, even though it was a fact. Their position had changed, yet it hadn't been realized. And it's a little bit like what happened at the cross, because we know it happened then. Jesus said, it is finished. He is victorious, yet it still has to be enforced. And we know that it, it will ultimately be fully enforced when jesus comes back but in the meantime jesus wants his kingdom to be preached to the ends of the earth and then he will come back he wants that that message of the good news the gospel to trickle out to all parts of the world so that everybody would be out given that opportunity to decide do they want to be the wheat or do they want to be the weed That they get to decide where's my allegiance which kingdom do i want to be under And it might feel like in this part of the world that we're actually going backwards. I know know a lot of people feel like, you know, God, man, what is happening in the West? Like, we're so secular now and hardly anyone believes. But I was actually heard something interesting that there's actually never been a time in history where more people are giving their lives over to Christ than today. And that's crazy for us to think of. But the fact is revival is happening all over the world. It's happening in Africa. It's definitely happening in Asia, in, in countries like China. It's happening in the Middle East at an incredible rate. It's just not happening where we are. But the kingdom of God is advancing. And I want to be a part of that. And I want to see that happen Malma Malmö and in and this, this country and now part of the world. Because it's the same God. So I, I should really get to the parable that I... I promised I was going to speak on this morning, so I will do that. So in Matthew 13, 31, 33, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from my favorite of the parables of the kingdom. It's the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. It says here, let me give you some chance here. So he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus used these two parables to explain to his followers how the kingdom would be established. That it would be established not by force, but like the slow, patient process of fermentation. Now, we have the, insight, uh, the hindsight of history, of course, but the lesson is the same. Just as the movement of Christianity started really small, really meager, with Jesus and his small band of disciples, it would grow and it would spread across the world to unlimited numbers of followers. We too, we can trust that God will do more than we ask, think, or imagine as we do the seemingly insignificant things. That's the lesson of the mustard seed. That's the lesson of the yeast. Something so small, something so insignificant can have a huge influence and grow into something beyond our imagination. You know, there would have been people when Jesus came, returned uh, to the disciples uh after he'd been risen risen from the dead that were like, okay, this is the time now. We're gonna go to Rome, we're gonna take over, now the kingdom is gonna come. And and instead he has a small prayer meeting with his band of followers. Something like Really small and significant, and the disciples then understood that there was a different way that this kingdom would be established. The early church they were just faithful followers following the ways of Jesus, they didn't have any political clout, they didn't have an army, and yet, after 300 years, the whole of the Roman Empire had been Christianized. How could that happen? How did that happen? That's unbelievable. It's, it's just a work of God. And that's what I, I see just the similarities in what's been happening in that college in Asprey, what's been happening throughout history is, is God does the unexpected, things that we could never plan for or conjured up ourselves as we faithfully follow him in the, yet the seemingly small and insignificant ways when we are submitted to God's ways of working. One person called it an expectation without agenda. We have confidence in God, yet we don't come to him with an agenda of how he's going to build. You know, interestingly, God says, seek the kingdom. He doesn't say, build my church, because Jesus says, I will build my church. It's Jesus that builds the church. He calls us to seek his kingdom, proclaim his kingdom, and he is the one that builds the church. The Pharisees would have expected a parable like, the kingdom of heaven is like a great army or a raging sea that consumes its enemies. That's probably how it would have read if one of us had written it as well, to be honest. We see all this injustice. We just want to wipe it off the face of the planet, don't we? (laughs) It's like, we don't have much patience. But instead, Jesus likens it to a gardener planting a seed or a baker making bread. These exercises of patience are what produces the best results. I preached a whole message on making sourdough bread once because it's so fascinating. But I think you understand the picture here. It's a slow process. It requires patience and faithfulness in order to get this good results, this fruitfulness or, or quality bread. Charles Surgeon, um, Spurgeon says that leaven, I think the quote's up on the screen, is used simply as another picture of an influence which appears feeble like the mustard seed, but turns out to be active, conquering, and at length all-pervading. This kingdom, though hidden in obscurity, in the midst of nations compares, comparable to three measures of meal wrought with a mysterious rapidity, and will still continue to work in the whole mass of the world and subdue the nations to itself. Wow. That's a a very grand picture. But that is actually in reality what has happened. You know, just through the faithfulness of, as I said, this small band of followers just practicing the ways of Jesus, the influence of Christianity has shaped Western civilization. The impact it's had on culture. Yes, maybe we've gone away from some of those things, but the impact that Christianity has had on shaping culture is undeniable, all because of the faithfulness of his followers, allowing God to work through them, to, to use them to create redemptive culture. Now, a lot of the educational institutes in the world were created by Christians, started by the church. A lot, of, a lot of things that we can be thankful for when it comes to science and education. So much of culture has been shaped by believers. And I think that's what God is calling us to, to um, see his kingdom come. It's, it's not just limited to the person. It's not just limited to our private world, our private domain. God wants us to have an impact and an influence on the culture around us, to see his redemptive culture start to influence This is the incredible nature of God's kingdom, that a small bunch of followers could, through patient, faithful following of the ways of Jesus, see the whole of the Roman Empire Christianized. But it took 300 years. Do we have that patience? It's not something we can do in our, ourselves. So why is our mission statement, seek his kingdom? Because that's what he's called us to do. We could have made it build his church, but that would be getting it the wrong way around. And that's so often the problem, isn't it? We 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 want to put the doing before the being. That's my biggest problem. I I, we we recently started this emotionally healthy spirituality course, and I've had a bit of a heads up because I've read the book with some of the executives, and I recognise so much of myself in that. That even though God has called me, just seek my kingdom, proclaim my kingdom. I want (laughs) to, I just want to do because I feel comfortable in that. I feel like I have control. But that's basically me saying it's my dominion. When in actuality, what we need to do is we need to be able to create pockets of space for God's kingdom. An area where God decides. So it starts with our heart and I say, God, you decide for this heart. And I'm not going to move. I'm not going to make a decision that isn't in line with you. So I'm gonna be aware of what you are doing. I wanna join in with your story. I don't wanna make my own story. I wanna have allegiance to you, that you have my priorities. And I wanna be aligned with you. I want my decisions, my lifestyle to reflect the ways of Jesus. And that's a challenge. They sought the kingdom, and Jesus built the church, and it didn't stop there. As we commit to seeking his kingdom, it's like inserting the yeast into the dough that will, in its time, fulfill its good purposes. Now, you may have heard of the book, The Long Obedience in the Same Direction, by Eugene Peterson. Interestingly, like I looked this up because I was like, oh, that's the perfect kind of term that I'm trying to get, like, I think so much of Christianity is about just obedience in the same direction, you know, just keep seeking him, just keep allowing him to work through you, this slow down spirituality that we've been talking about, you know, the funny thing is, is that I was so impatient as a young Christian, like, I would get frustrated that, like, oh, why was there not, like, a hundred kids there on a Friday night when we put on that youth event, like, when is God's kingdom, when are we going to have a revival amongst the youth in my city? And I was just so impatient, and people just would tell me, like, hey, don't focus on the numbers, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, like, uh, I was so impatient, and yet I was, like, you know, 19, 20 years old. I had my whole life ahead of me. And the funny thing is, as a Christian, is, like, the older I get, like, where time is supposedly running out, I get more patient with God's plans, because I trust him more. Whereas the world is, like, telling you to freak out. You're getting older, now is the time, seize the day, like, you know, like, hey, You've got to make your life count, whereas I'm, like, going in the opposite direction when it comes to God's kingdom. I ha- my confidence is just getting more and more secure that, like, hey, he's, he's in control. He's got this. Like, yep, th- this is going to end well. and I know the end of the story. So I can just kind of lean back and just relax on that, right? I'm not stressed in that way. Now, other parts of my life, I cannot say the same. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I need to work on my patience. But when it comes to his church, especially in the last few years, I think the pandemic has helped in this. I've just kind of just let go of the driving wheel a little bit and just said, hey, hey God's the one building this church. I don't need to stress it. And so I think that's a beautiful thing when we can, get, when we can, we can re- have that realization. But this term, the long obedience in the same direction that we are called to, it actually is borrowed from Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, which really surprised me because he has some wacky ideas. The funny thing about Nietzsche is him and uh, I'm going to butcher his name now, Søren Kierkegaard. You know the Danish guy, philosopher. He was a Christian. Nietzsche was definitely not a Christian. But they're very similar people in that they were very skeptical and critical of the church. The only difference is they came to two different clu- conclusions. You know, Kierkegaard, the Danish guy, he 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 was like real believer and like no, but. But the, the real authentic church, that is the hope for the world. Whereas Nietzsche was like, religion's a bad deal, man. Look at it. Just just look at what's going on. Like he, he, he yeah, and it didn't end well for him. But he got one thing right And when it comes to spiritual truths. And I think he had great clarity on this. He wrote, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. So just this idea of dedicating yourself to something, that that is actually where you see the fruit, like somebody who, who, whose heart stayed on something. It's that long obedience in the same direction, which the mood of this world does so much discourage. I mean, we talked about, you know, this uh, um, uh, the elimination of hurry. Like, it's it, so much in the world today. It's just like, it's 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 anti what the way of Jesus right. That's why it's countercultural to be a disciple of Jesus because he's telling us to slow down, to trust, to relax, and the world is just telling us to speed up and, and maximize and the complete opposite message. And yet this truth, the long obedience in the second direction, that's what leads to a life of fruit. Philippians two twelve thirteen paints it really well. It says, "Continue to work out your salvation." with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I can just picture myself making sourdough there. He's working things out. You know, it's as that slow fermentation. That yeast is working its way through all parts of that dough, and it's going to produce something beautiful and extremely tasty. And that is the way that God works. He's working things out in you, and we just got to trust that he will fulfill his good purpose in our lives. So when we say in Malmo as it is in heaven, we are simply saying, God, have your way in Malmo. Have your way with our hearts, with our lives, with our church, with our city. Let our world be where you decide. Your will be done. That is the question that the parable of the wheat and the weed asks you. Who decided for your life? Where was your allegiance? It starts with our hearts. Remember, we intentionally follow Jesus daily, desiring to become more like him. But it's so much more than the individual. Jesus is looking to make all things new. In the previous service prayer that came up, all things new. I had it in my message here. This is what it's all about. Jesus is looking to make all things new, and he's not just talking about our hearts. He wants to redeem culture. He wants to ultimately bring in a new heaven on earth, and we can bring about, we can hasten that coming. We can create pockets where God reigns and rules so people can experience freedom and peace in their lives. You know, I just had this picture as we, were, I mean, the, i tell you, the songs today were perfect. <laughs> Surrender, um, battle, I just felt like the like kingdom, kingdom uh, language this morning. And I just had this picture of, you know, on the news right now, there's a lot of talk about, you know, you see the Ukrainian border. And they always have these pictures of kind of the territories that the Russians have taken and the territories where Ukrainians hold um, control. And then you have these little pockets of contested um, territory where it's, it could go either way. And I just thought, like, that's, 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 that's our, you could put that over our city, right? There's areas where God has his way, like in our church, right? And there's contested areas in our lives, in our hearts, where it could go either way. Because there's tough decisions that need to be made, right? And then there's areas out there that they are just completely... You know, ruled by the evil one in this world, that need to be, territory needs to be taken. There's battlegrounds being drawn, and we know who the victor is, but God is looking for people to contest, to bring his kingdom that it would be like in Malma as it is in heaven. That is the, the, the cry, the call to us as his followers. So it starts with our hearts. And that is why we look to participate in God's story and mission, aiming to see our neighbors, our region, and the world redeemed and flourishing. You know, as Matthew shared, everything we have is a gift from God. What will we do with what we are given? Do we create our own domain? You know, is it my life? Is it my money? Is it my choices? Or do we say, Abba, Father, what's next? What do you want to do? What do you want to do with this church? What do you want to do with my life? What, what, what direction do you want our family to take? I give it all over to you. I can invite the band up as it come to a close right now. I think that is ultimately what God is encouraging us this morning is areas of our life can we truly say this is where God decides? You know, I'm 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 making a career change right now, and so I I have to you know question myself about that. Is it, you know, am I chasing salary or, you know, whatever status, or or am I asking God, what do you want me to do? And it could be whatever. I, I know some of you, it might be bigger decisions, um, or even small things. But there's always areas in in our life where God is. Challenging us, are you going to let me decide here? Is this your domain or is this truly my domain? You're living in my kingdom? But I want us to be encouraged this morning that as we say, Jesus, you decide, as we commit to seeking his kingdom by following his ways and lifting up his name, we are creating redemptive culture that can have an impact beyond our comprehension. And I'm encouraged, Like I've, I've just seen so many people where I feel like decisions are being made to allow God in, to allow him to, to, to really do some deep transformation in hearts. And I'm just seeing like the fruit of that in people. And I'm, I'm just seeing like, are we sensitive to this? There's something happening here. Like, are, are, we, are we tuned into it? God is looking to pour out his spirit. So we just need, a, we, we need to come to the place where we just surrender to him. We we'll say, God, have your way with, with our lives. Have, have your way with, this, with my family, with our church. Lord, come, pour out your spirit. I see God building his church. But the question to us is like, what have we been seeking first? Is it Jesus the King? Is it something else? If it is something else, I just wanna encourage you, Exchange it for Jesus. Yet let your world be his domain, where he rules, because he's the best king you could ever have. Don't worry about these things first, the scripture says. Seek first his kingdom. I I don't know what it is you might be worried about right now, what you're worried about potentially losing, what you're potentially risking. But I just want to encourage you, just trust in the good father. Let's just stand as we go to a close. I just want to pray for everyone here this morning. Now, as we were reminded in the last series, all in, wholly surrendered, wholly alive, we're reminded that if you die to yourself, you will live with Jesus. Now, crucifying yourself, well, it doesn't sound easy and it isn't easy. Maybe it looks like something like deciding to make a lifestyle change, maybe giving up a relationship, maybe you have to change a, a job or yeah, get, change your environment. It might cost you. It might cost you financially. It might cost you in friends. It might cost you in comfort. There's always a cost, but ultimately, I can tell you it's worth it. Every time I've tested God in this area, it's always been worth it. So as we come to a close now, I just want to pray for all of us. And there'll be an opportunity afterwards, if anything in this message is spoken to you, we'd love to pray for you after the service. But well, let's just commit everything to God because we know that his kingdom is it's not just about us. It's about our world. It's about our future. So Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to come and set us free. Thank you that he has set us free, Lord God. Thank you that he is victorious now. And Lord, we want to experience more and more of the not yet, Lord. We want to experience more of your freedom here in this place. We want to experience more of your peace, Lord. We want more people to experience your love, Lord God. So Lord, just like that picture, we want to take more ground for you, Lord. If there's areas in our life where your domain and your rule and reign is contested, Lord God. We want to give that over to you. We want to surrender those areas to you, Lord God, that you may have more room to reign, Lord, in our lives. That we may create more space, that you may be a contact point between this lost and hurting world and the hope and glory of your kingdom, Lord. Father, give us courage to take those hard decisions. Give us wisdom of which way to go, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we are on a journey together, Lord, and we can trust that as we patiently follow your ways, Lord, as we have a long obedience in the same direction, following after you, Lord, that you're a faithful God, that you would do mighty and great things in our lives and in this city, Lord. We trust in you, Lord. We commit everything to you, vision builders, every plan we have in our heart, Lord, God. May it be aligned with you. May we join in with your glorious story, Lord. Thank you that we get to be a part of that, Lord. I thank you that we'll make decisions today and through the coming months to give more of our lives over to you. Because you're faithful and you're worthy of our trust. Amen.